Pastor Matt has been talking to us this month about vision, and I just wanted to give you a bit of a recap, just in case you missed any of it, or if you couldn't keep up with his warp speed. Um, <laughs> so the audio will be much easier to edit this week. You know, there won't be steady sound bites. So, sorry. Okay. All right. So he's done an excellent job of conveying the God-given vision of this church, and when we speak about like the vision of our church, we talk about how we are uniquely called to carry out the Great Commission. Um, Jesus told us to go in all the world and preach the gospel, but I'm not going to do it in the same way that you're going to do it. And this house, because we're all unique, is not going to do it in the same way as another house is going to do it. And so when we talk about vision... We talk about how we are uniquely called, and that's exciting. So we also call it our why, and we have a slide for that. Our why is raising up game changers. And we want to be a catalyst for people understanding their purpose. We want to see people come here and get a revelation of, of what God has called them to do and get so lit up with passion for it and then take that out into the world around them and make a difference. We want to help people become the X Factor. And we have the definition for that. The X Factor is a change agent in a given situation that changes the outcome more than anything else. Well, who wouldn't want to be that, right? And I loved how Pastor Matt kind of defined it here for our church. He said that the X factor for us is when someone is so full of God that it spills over into the things around us so much that it changes the environment. That's powerful, right? And that was just week one. So the second week, he started talking about our core values, and we have four of them. He said... Can you hear me? I'm sorry, I'm cutting out. It's passion, humility, integrity, and love. There are a lot of great values out there. I'm pretty sure with 25 when we first um, had our list. And so, but the experts say that you need to really narrow it down to the three to five that are non-negotiables. And so we chose these four, these four. We chose passion because a life of passion is a life of movement. If we, know, if we know what we're supposed to do, but we don't have any passion for it, then we kind of stall out very quickly or we don't ever get moving in the first place. It's going to take passion to fuel us past those scary steps of faith because we all know those are out there moving into the unknown of something new. Or the change that we have to make, that's painful, right? And we need passion that's going to push us through that painful change so that we can grow and do all that we're called to be. The second one we chose is humility, and that's because God uses humility in our life to bring favor. The Bible says that pride, is, or that pride comes before the fall. Pride is the opposite of humility. Humility protects us from those unforeseen traps. We've seen it like in movies where there's this prideful person that thinks he knows everything and someone else recognizes that and they feed it, right? And then that person gets so prideful and they're blinded by it and they fall into a trap, right? They wind up bringing themselves down because of that pride. Well, that happens to us sometimes too. And so when we stay humble, we realize that everything's God's anyways. Our calling is really his. So we don't have to defend that. It's his. He'll defend it. All of our gifts and our talents, they're not really ours. They're his. And so he'll supply them when we need them and as we need them. So humility is definitely something we you need to stand in and need to walk in and need to stay in so that we can move forward without falling into those pit traps. So that was week two. 
So if you missed either one of them, you should really check out our podcast. He did a lot better job of, of saying those um, to us. Yeah, you did. You did a really good job. Uh, and I'm just trying to get over my nervousness. Hold on. It's going to get good here in just a second. <laughs> okay. I know. I know. Hold on. Um, it is. So you can go to lifechurchx.com and you can check that out or you can go to our podcast channel. Um, so today I want to talk to you about integrity and love. But before I do that, can we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to come up here and talk to your kids. God, they're your kids. This isn't my message and it's yours because if it's mine, then it's nothing. But God, I just want you to anoint every one of my words that you know where everybody is. You know what they need to hear, Lord God, and make this relevant to them. Make it impactful to them in a way that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. So I want to start out with you today speaking about love. And I wanted to start out with love because love changed me. When I was young and a teenager in young 20s, probably even in the mid 20s, I was I was very angry. I was angry at all the bad things that had happened to me. And I could give you a long list, as I'm sure many of you could say a long list of bad things that have happened to you. I was angry at all the good things that I thought should have happened to me that didn't. I was angry at the bad decisions that I made. Gosh, I was angry just because I was angry. That's a downward spiral. Um, but love changed me. Love is powerful. I'm sure most of you have heard the scripture, John 3.16. It's for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Wow, God gave his son to suffer and to die so that we could be saved because he loved us. It wasn't because he had to. It wasn't because he wanted to. I mean, who would want that? It was because he loved us. Love was the motivation of the cross. This love that drove our Jesus to the cross, he changed the game for us all. It's the reason that we have a hope of heaven. It's the reason that we can come boldly into the presence of a holy God and talk with him as a friend. It's the reason that we can receive forgiveness. It changed everything. Let's read 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Are you getting this? Love doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, that which is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked as a child. I thought as a child. I reasoned as a child. But when I became a man, I put away the ways of childhood. For now we see only a reflection that is in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. For I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Wow. Did anybody notice how powerful love was? 
I mean, love is the sweetness to our words. Did you see that in verse 1? You can have all wisdom, but without love, it's like a clanging symbol. I've been that person where I'm like, I know it, let me tell you, and it's truth, it's right. But that person is complete door shut because it wasn't out of a heart of love. Love is the something behind all of the amazing things we do. I remember when I was young, I was like, you know, my dad would try to buy my love. And I was like, I don't want it. I don't want it. I want your love. I don't want your stuff. Love or stuff doesn't mean anything if it's not out of a heart of love. Love is the gain we get when we sacrifice. When you sacrifice, you can gain or you can lose. If you give it away, you're going to lose. But if it's with love, then you receive something. Love makes a difference. The Bible says that when, um, or when we get to heaven, faith is going to give way to sight, right? When we get to heaven, we don't have to have faith for these things because we're going to see them. Hope's going to give way to experience, you know? We don't have to have a hope for heaven anymore. We're there. But love is still there. All that we do, all of the good, the great, the wonderful, and the oppressive things that we accomplish will one day be revealed for the heart behind it. Was it a heart of love? It's better to provide a simple meal with pure, genuine love than to provide a meal with all the finest things and to be resentful, to be self-seeking, to be prideful and parading it around. Being a game changer starts with love. But how can we love like that? How can we love like Paul said in 1 Corinthians, it's selfless, that doesn't hold records of wrongs, that isn't easily angered? We have to first get a revelation of how much God loves us. We can work as hard as we want, but we can never love like that on our own. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. We only have the ability to love on our own because He loved us. He is the very source of love. And so, wouldn't it make sense to go to the source to receive what we need? Maybe some of you can relate to this. I know what it's like to look for a love that satisfies the soul in the wrong places. I've looked for it in relationships. I've looked for it in things. I went and been crushed and totally broken by ends of relationships. And it wasn't the person and it wasn't the relationship. It was a rejection. I was rejected. I said, this person's going to love me the way I need. And they said, no. And that is devastating. Our souls long to be loved with a pure and genuine love. We hunger to be chosen, to be preferred, to have someone's full attention, to be delighted in, to be protected, to be trusted, to be longed for. It's in the heart of every person. We want to be loved like Allie in the Notebook, right? Have any of you seen that movie? Yeah. Every woman who's ever seen that woman wants to be loved, or movie wants to be loved like that. But you know what? Every guy does too. Maybe not in that same way, but he wants to be loved completely. He wants to be loved genuinely. He wants to be loved passionately. Where does, where does the desire of this love come from? God put it in us. Why? To drive us to himself. How are we going to, why would we go to a God? How would we know to seek a love like that if he didn't put it in us? Right? He wants us to come to him. So he put the desire for himself in us. So I want to tell you a funny story. It might be a little gross. Uh, 
So it would have been a lot grosser last week. So this week, you know, you'll see. So we um, live in the country and we have a cistern. This is all new to us. And so I know, I'm sorry. So we have to have water hauled into our cistern. And um, so on last, a week ago, this past Thursday, I was like, well, I think Matt checked it last week and we're getting low. So I'm going to call for a delivery. And so he's like, there's an ice storm coming. So I can't come till Monday. I'm like, well, we should be okay. And we were out. And so I was like, well, we'll check it when we get home. And if we need to kind of conserve a little bit, then we'll do that. Except when we came home, it was gone. And there was an ice storm coming. So we couldn't leave and he couldn't come. And there's eight people in our house. <laughs> yes. So anyway, we have a rain barrel that we've been collecting water in. And so we're like, well, we'll just haul in buckets of water. Or I didn't haul in any buckets of water, but <laughs> he hauled in like 100 buckets of water. I don't know. Um, to, you know, flush the toilets and stuff like that. And then we came to Saturday morning and it's like, hmm, we might have church. We haven't taken a shower since Thursday, so we're going to have to figure this thing out. So I'm like, it's okay. I Googled it, okay? So we're just going to we're just gonna fill up the bathtub, boil the water, and we'll be safe. They can't drink it, but we'll bathe the kids in the bath water. So we did that, and they got out. They lived. They're fine. Um, and so we're filling up the water so that I can take a bath until Pastor Matt comes running in. He's like, Katie. He can be a little dramatic. Yeah, it, it was kind of like that. It was kind of like that. He's like, it smells like raw sewage. When I dumped out the bucket, I saw stuff in it, and it smells awful. So I'm like, maybe he's over-exaggerating. He's like, no. So then I start Googling again. What happens if you bathe in raw sewage? And so anyway, the moral of this story is, first of all, please pray for us in our health. Um, but... But that you can't go to a contaminated place to receive genuine purity. So you can't go to a contaminated rain bucket to receive pure water. And so when you go to those contaminated relationships, the ones that are outside of God's will for your life, you're not going to receive pure love. But hear this. You know what? We went to our tap, and it was empty. Sometimes you try to go to a healthy relationship and you try to receive what that person can't offer you. You go to your spouse, you go to a child, you go to a godly friend, and sometimes they're empty because they're a person. To always be filled, to always know you're going to get filled, to always know you're going to receive, you have to go to the source. As we spend time in the presence of love himself, we become full of him, full of love. And then and only then we become satisfied within our souls. But we're not just filled so that we can be changed. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God promises to bless us with everything we need for everything he's called us to do. Love penetrates hard hearts. Love offers hope. Love encourages. Love builds up. Love will see past mistakes, sins, wrongs, hurts, and it'll speak life into the purposes that God has inside of someone. 
Love is the biggest game changer. Love is our greatest weapon and it yields the biggest rewards. We need to be full of love to walk in our purpose and to be a game changer so that we can offer that. We can't offer that as someone's source, but we can offer it as a drink to someone so that they can get a taste of what they've been desiring and then they can go to the source. Maybe some of you feel like God can't love you like that. He doesn't love you like that. Maybe you have a reason or reasons why you think you've gone beyond what God can forgive. Maybe you've even lived a large part of your life out there and you're like, I, it's too far to come back. Do you think he's angry with you? When you think about going to God for your needs, for love, for your purpose, do you immediately hear all of the reason why you're not good enough? Why you've messed up? Why you're disqualified? Or maybe you feel like God can forgive you, but he can't use you. I'll forgive you, you'll go to heaven, but now you're just done. You can't be used anymore. Do you feel like you don't have a purpose? If you can say yes to any of those, I want you to listen to this. Romans 5, 8. It says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The promises of the Bible were given knowing every mistake you were going to make. Your purpose, your gifts, your talents, your abilities. He knew every single detail of every mistake you were going to make, and he gave them to you anyway. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love holds no record of wrongs. You come to God, you ask for forgiveness, it's gone. How? I have no idea. I hold records of wrongs. I try not to, but I do. It's not the same way with God. He's not like us. It's gone. Maybe you were thinking that you don't deserve it. Well, you're probably right. You know what? I don't either. I don't deserve God's love. He gives it to us anyway. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Why does he blot out our transgressions? Why did he say that? For his sake. It's not about us. It's about him. He loved us so that we could love him. He died for us so that we could see and know love and so that we could love him back. He didn't die for you so that if you did anything on this list of things that he would reject you. He didn't die for you if you didn't get to this point that he would say, well, you didn't deserve it. He died for you so you could love him. And he will never stop pursuing you in that. Romans 8, 31, 39 says, What shall we say about the wonderful things as these? If God is for us, then who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for us? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Those condemning words that you hear when you go to God, they are lies. It's not God. God does not condemn. God will convict us, but it'll lead us to repentance. It'll help us to see what we've done wrong, but there will be something inside of us that'll lead us to him, that'll, that has hope of repentance and forgiveness. If every time you hear that you can't do it, 
you messed it up too bad. That is the enemy lying to you. Condemnation pushes you down. God never pushes you down. Continuing on in that scripture, it says, Can anything ever separate us from the Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, For your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus. We can't wrap our minds around that kind of love. Go on. Think as big as you can. Go out as far out and fair tale land as you can think about how big God loves you, you haven't scratched the surface. He loves you so much more than you can ever know. That kind of love is infectious. That kind of love is attractional. That kind of love is the X factor. Amen. That kind of love is what will make us game changers. Yes. Amen. I'm doing good on time. Okay, so I'm going to move on to integrity. That was a beautiful transition, wasn't it? <laughs> Still working on those. Uh, so how would you define integrity? I find that there are many words that I like, I know, but I realize that when my kids come and say, Mom, what does this mean? I'm like, well, here's an example, and I can use it in a sentence here, but I can't give you the definition of that. So I looked this one up to be sure. Integrity, there's two definitions, and the first part was what I assumed. It's the quality of being honest and having sound moral principles or moral uprightness. The Bible tells us in James 5.12 that above all my brothers and sisters do not swear by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. This made me think about back in the day when you wanted to make a deal, you shook a hand. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Where you say, I give you my word, and you're going to do it. If someone says that to you, it's going to be done. Now we have to have five contracts, 100 signatures, more attorneys than we want to deal with. We run out of ink on our paper, and still there's loopholes that they can get around. It's crazy. How do we, how do we walk in integrity like that? It's a huge order, right? First, we need to not be too quick to give our word. Many times we say yes, and then we realize, oh, shoot, I forgot about that. You know, it's okay to say, I'll think about it. Let me check my schedule. I am bad at that. I want to do it. And so I say yes, and then it's like, oh, man. Second, we have to know what's in our control. Sometimes we say yes, and then we realize, we can't say yes to that. My kids do this all the time. They go to church. They promise their friend they're coming to spend the night next, tomorrow night. And then they come, and they're like, Mom, I told so-and-so I'm going to spend the night tomorrow night. And it's like, uh, I, you didn't ask me. You didn't ask their parents. You can't drive. You can't say yes to that. <laughs> But it's a good example of doing, you know, only agreeing to what is in our control and knowing that. But the second definition of integrity was amazing. It's the state of being whole or undivided. And this is where I want to spend the next several minutes. Have you heard the saying that the integrity of the structure is compromised? 
I'm not a carpenter, so I'm going to give you what I believe that definition is. Sorry, Ferd. <laughs> okay, but it means that it's weakened. It means that it's not whole, right? Proverbs 11.3 says that the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Wow. Wow. Yes. When we don't do what we say, what we say we're going to do, we aren't fully honest, or when we withhold necessary information, we are weakened. Just like in a building, when the integrity of the structure is compromised, it can't support the same amount of weight. And so it is the same for us. If our integrity is compromised, we can't support the same amount of weight that we're called to. It destroys our reputation, and it dulls out our voice. If you've been here for even a short time, then you've heard Pastor Matt talking about the church needing to get her voice back. And what we mean by that is that the church should be influential in all areas of society. It should be in schools. We should be in governments. Not like back in the days where it's, you know, fearful and, you know, intimidating, but where people seek out the voice of the church because the voice of the church is where God speaks. It's godly wisdom, right? Why has the church lost her voice? Because her reputation has been compromised. If we're honest, it's because her reputation has been compromised. It's because of her lack of integrity. So then let me ask you this. We're going on a journey. What is the church? Take a second to think about that. How would you answer it? Is it an institution? Is it a building, like here? Is it leadership, like Pastor Matt and I, and the leaders here? Is that the church? When Jesus said, go into the world and preach the gospel, when he said that out of his mouth, who was he talking to? A building or an institution? Was he talking to an organization or a group? He was talking to 12 boys. He was talking to a couple fishermen, to a zealot, a hated tax collector, and a few businessmen. There was no formed organization. There was no building. They were just people, people who got a revelation of Jesus, and they had a testimony to share. And 40 days later, they received the Holy Spirit and got a revelation of who they were because of Jesus. The church is you. The church is me. The church that Jesus started is all of us together and around the world who believe in Jesus, hearing his voice, and walking in our purpose. So can I be real with you? Why has the church lost her voice? It's because of my lack of integrity. It's because some of our lack of integrity. And you know, for some of that, some of us, that's lying, flat out lying. It's our yes not being yes and our no not being no. But I would say for most of us, it's being divided, not being whole. I read something one time that so convicted me. I read that most people who come to know Jesus as their Savior is because of direct influence with a Christian. Someone prayed for them, someone invited them to church, someone met a need, but whatever it was, a Christian was the catalyst that God used to, to spark that flame. Then it said the top two reasons why most people reject Jesus. The first one is because of religious hypocrisy. The integrity of the Christian is compromised. Meaning that what they say and what they do don't line up. They lose influence and they have no voice. They talk about the love of God and they complain about people. They say they love their spouse, but they cut them down all the time. They say that God sets us free, but they're bound up in chains, they're angry and joyless and hateful. Would that make you want to run to God? 
The second reason that most people reject Jesus is gospel inoculation. The integrity of the gospel is compromised. It's watered down. What's shared out of the mouth of a Christian, whether it be a pastor or whether it be someone claiming to be it, is a powerless, condemning gospel. It's not accurate. It's a gospel that weighs us down. It's this list of rules that says you have to be, do all this, but it's no power for you to do them. It's all these things that tell you why you're wrong and why you're bad, but it doesn't tell you that Jesus died to set you free, and now you're a new creation. So that's not you anymore. I want to finish with this. Integrity is honesty, but it's so much more than that. It's genuine. Godly integrity is where the whole of you is divided. Your words, your actions, and your attitude speak the same thing. To walk in this kind of integrity that becomes a game changer, you have to get a revelation of your purpose. You have to know who you are. You find that by spending time with the one who made you. If you're unsure of who you are as a son or a daughter, then you're not whole. It's sitting at his feet and allowing him to tell us, to show us, and to grow us into the game changer we are called to be. When you get it, when you get that aha moment, you become alive. There is an uncontainable passion that flows out of you. There is a certainty that cannot be squashed. Not in arrogance, but in humility. Because it's not, you know it's not you. You know it's what God did in you. You know it's by his power. It's through him. It's for him. And so you can walk in confidence. You can walk in integrity. Because you're representing him. You're not representing yourself. There's a joy that makes the struggles easier. There's a peace in the storm. We can quickly admit and apologize for our mistakes because they don't define us anymore. Think of that. Our mistakes don't define us anymore. How many times have we allowed that to happen? They don't define us because one thing defines us. That we are loved by the God of heaven and he is pleased with us. We can't be wronged without having to settle the score because we know that nothing can change our God-given purpose. Nothing can take away from us our value because 2,000 years ago, the God of heaven died on a cross and purchased us at the highest cost. What defines the value of something? Is it what you set it at or is it what someone will purchase it at? God purchased you at the highest cost. He died so that you can receive all of his love every day, every time you're open to it, and so that you can love him back. We can be wrong without having to settle the score. Our mistakes don't define us. And if we don't have a revelation of how love himself sees us, then how can we tell of real, genuine love to someone else? I know that I can. I have to spend time at the feet of the one who knows me who knows my mistakes, who knows my thoughts, all the nasty ones, who knows my bad temper, who knows all the bad decisions I've made, and he loves me with a fiery, passionate, never-ending love still. Luke says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We have to fill our heart with, all, with that, with that love, with that genuine, pure love, so that we can make a difference in our world.
I know some of you are wanting to make a difference in your kids, wanting to make a difference in your friends, in your spouse. This is how you do it. This is how you become the game changer. That's the difference maker and that's the X factor.